Father, I just stand in amazement every day of how much You truly love us and care about us. I thank You that we can really have a relationship with You. I thank You for Your people. I thank thank You so much, Father, for Your church and for those who have devoted themselves to You and have truly embraced You as Lord. We praise You tonight and give You all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, You'll pick up on the title of the lesson somewhere through it. It's The title is not what's important. So I want us to begin tonight by thinking that let's take a journey together. And on our journey, we're going to go back to ancient Israel. Hundreds, maybe thousands of years ago, we pass by Mount Sinai. We cross over the Jordan. We make our way through the desert, up through that Judean desert, and then up maybe to the Kidron Valley. And we come to a stop. We're there high on a hill, overlooking a little village, a little community. And we witness an event that is taking place out here on the outer edges of this ancient city. We, as we witness this event, it looks like a wedding. And at least if it's not a wedding, it's the preparation of a wedding. We see a bride that is in a white gown. And she's standing in the garden. She's there with her bridesmaids. And then it was as if the Spirit of the Lord spoke to us and said, You're watching a cosmic mystery. You are watching the shadow of a mystery. What you are seeing is a love story. The bride is a picture of what we each were called to be. And there was silence. We are created to be a bride. And that's why we will never be complete in ourselves. You see, deep down in the very center of our being, deep down inside of us, in our feelings and in our emotions, we seek to be filled. The bride is made to be married. And so we will never be complete until we are joined to Him. Until we are joined to that which we are to be married. Until we feel that longing that is in our heart. You see, some look for fulfillment. Well, they look for it in people. They may look for it in success or possessions or money or the accumulation of things or comfort or family, romance. Who knows what? Some even in in achievements or some form of success. Then there are others who are convinced that it's only going to come through the achievement of power or belonging to some movement or perhaps reaching a goal. The bride, she was created to be married. And she'll never rest until she is. You see, none of these other passions are going to work because none of these other things are the bridegroom. And the bridegroom is God. He is the one for whom we are created. So, we have to find Him. But more than just find Him, well, we have to marry Him. Marry God? Man, I was a little confused at that thought. Marry God? 
How would we do that? By joining every part of our life, every part of our being, our deepest parts, our heart, our soul, our thoughts, our emotions, our desires, everything is joined to God. As Moses said in Deuteronomy 6 and 5, to love the Lord with all of your heart, in all of your soul, in all of your strength. It's only then that our deepest needs and our longings can be filled. The bride can only find completion in the bridegroom. And the bridegroom of our souls is God. And that mystery is revealed in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 to 32. Now, since I'm to love the Lord with all of my heart, I need a definition of love. Love is to want the very, very best for someone else. Love is to put myself in the place of another, to feel their feelings, to walk in their shoes, to weep with their tears, to rejoice in their joys, to take upon their burdens and to give to them mine. It's to seek to understand what is it like to be like you. So if love is to put itself in the place of another, what would be the greatest love possible? What would be the greatest manifestation of love? That God would put Himself in the place of another. See, God would have to put Himself in my place. He would have to walk in my shoes. He would have to feel my feelings. He would have to cry my tears. He would have to take upon Himself my burdens, even experience my judgment and my death, and be willing to save me to give His life for mine. That love has been manifested in Christ. We can only receive it. And we can only let it change us. We can only then let it change us and be changed by it. It's the steadfast love of God, which is the limitless, infinite love of God. Well, the wedding is about to begin. So, we're going to go back to the start, to the very beginning. It took us some time as we traveled together. We uh, journeyed through the desert until we arrived at a tent village. It happened to be the tent village of the bridegroom. We watched as the events began to unfold. And it seemed to focus upon a young man and his family, his friends, his relatives. And then they began this procession, which made its way to the end of the camp, and where the bridegroom got on a camel, and the procession continued. The others followed along on foot, and we decided that we would just join in and join in for the walk. It took us about a half an hour, maybe 45 minutes, until we arrived at the destination, another tent village. And there was a small crowd waiting. The bridegroom dismounted the camel, was welcomed by the group, and he was led to one of the tents. Now, in order for there to be a marriage, I learned that the bridegroom had to first make a journey. He had to make a journey from his house to the house of the bride. And it didn't matter where she lived. She could live across the camp. She could live across the desert. Wherever she was, he had to journey to her. The bridegroom is a shadow of God. And we each were born to be the bride. 
But in order for there to be a marriage, the joining of the two, the bridegroom must always journey to the house, from his house to the house of the bride. And so according to the mystery 2,000 years ago, the bridegroom, God, undertook the journey of the bridegroom. He traveled not across a city or across the desert, but he traveled across space and time from heaven, the house of the bridegroom, to earth, to the house of the bride. I was curious, does the bride ever journey to the bridegroom? Never. No. Not under any circumstances. And in the same way, I can never reach heaven on my own. I can never reach God on my own. It's the bridegroom who journeys to the bride. So it is God who journeys to you. He comes to your tent. He comes to your dwelling. He comes to you to wherever you are. No matter what your life is like. Your life can be a wreck. But He still comes to wherever you are, even if it is a disaster. So, wherever you find yourself, and no matter where you find yourself, He will be the one who comes to you. And what does He do? He knocks on the door of your heart. And the bride, what does she do? Well, she opens the door and invites Him in. Well, the wedding party... They kept referencing this young woman in the tent village. And the term that they kept referencing and using was the word Kala. C-A-L-A-H. I learned that Kala in Hebrew means the bride. So when the bridegroom made his visit, it was for her. She's the bride, but she's not yet married. In the Hebrew wedding, the bridegroom journeys to the house of the bride. Then, there in that house, or in that tent, a dowry was paid. A covenant was made. They're from that moment on considered bride and groom, husband and wife. The bridegroom then must leave the bride. He leaves her in her house. And he journeys back to his camp. He journeys back from where he came. Now, the two are joined in the covenant of marriage, but they don't see each other for days, weeks, maybe even months. They will not see each other until the day of the wedding. They're separated, and they spend their time preparing for that day. For the bride, it seems as if nothing at all has happened. Nothing at all has changed. I mean, she's still living with her family. She's still living in that same tent. She goes about her her chores, her responsibilities, just as she did before. Everything seems the same. Uh, seems uh, to still be the same. Spiritually. Once we are joined to Christ, we no longer see this world as our home. We see it for what it has now become. It's our bridal chamber. And we are preparing for our wedding day. You see, 2,000 years ago, the bridegroom journeyed to the house of the bride. God journeyed to this world. He He journeyed to our house. He journeyed to our lives. 
And likewise, it was to pay the price and to make an eternal covenant. So according to the mystery, the bridegroom must leave the bride's house. And he returns home. And so Messiah, he left this world to return to his dwelling place. So these are the days of separation. The groom now dwells in his house, in heaven. And the bride, well, she dwells in her house, this world. And so the bride, as she dwells in this house, in the world, so you, in your life, you still dwell in the same tent. That which is around you, it still looks the same. It still feels the same. Your life, your circumstances, well... They all look unchanged. But something very big has changed. You, not the tent, not the world around you. You're the one that has changed. You're in the world, but you're no longer of the world. You no longer belong to your circumstances. You no longer belong to your past. Your past has been relinquished. Your past has been released. Your past has been healed. It's been forgiven. You now belong to the bridegroom. You're free. You're the kala. You're the bride. So what does the bridegroom do in the time of their separation? Well, he returns to his house or his tent. And he prepares a place for the bride. Now, in ancient Israel... He may build a section onto the family home. Depending on the structure, he may build a second floor. Or he may build on adjacent property. But he builds and prepares a place for his bride and for he to live. The most important thing is that he settles all pending matters. If he had happened to farm at that time, he would have to wait until he could harvest a crop. If he kept animals, he would have to wait for the completion of the birthing cycle. He pays all of the bills. He settles all of the debts. And likewise, the bridegroom goes to prepare a place for his bride. Messiah said, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and where I am, there you may be also. John 14, verse 2 and 3. So what is it like? The place that He's preparing. Well, it's beyond anything that we can imagine. It's beyond anything that we can fathom. Scripture says the eye hadn't seen, the ear hadn't heard, and it hasn't entered into the mind of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. Now, after arriving back, at his home in the beginning of the preparing of a place for uh, the new bride, the bridegroom opens up a chest. We would call it a hope chest. And he takes out this necklace-like object. It's a piece of jewelry made of precious stones. And it has a variety of colors. It's in a beautiful golden netting. And he sends the beautiful ornament, the jewelry, he sends that to the bride as a gift. The gift is called a matan. M-A-T-T-A-N. Matan means the gift. It is a sign of His love. 
It is to encourage her in the days of their separation. It's to assure her of His pledge. It is a guarantee of His faithfulness. And it is a promise of things to come. It is to beautify her and to prepare her for her wedding day. Once a year, on the biblical calendar, Israel celebrated the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. The law was considered a gift from God. The celebration was known as the Day of the Matan, the Day of the Gift. It was the Feast of Shavuot. It became known as the Day of Pentecost. And on the Day of Pentecost, God gave the gift. He gave to the bride the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the Matan. It's the gift that the bridegroom gives to the bride. It's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that makes us free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, verse 2 and 3. It is the seal, the pledge, the promise. It's God's Holy Spirit which is a pledge unto the day of the wedding. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. The Spirit is given as a sign of the bridegroom's love to encourage us in the days of the separation, the days of our betrothal, to assure us of His pledge, to strengthen us, to beautify us. It is the guarantee of God's faithfulness and it is the promise of things to come. Well, it's time for the wedding to begin. So we go back to the camp from where everything began. It is as we go back to the camp of the bridegroom, keep in mind they have not seen each other for days, weeks, maybe months. But now the day has arrived. Everyone is gathered around the bridegroom. He's adorned with a festive robe. He's got a garland around his head. And this procession begins. The groom and his men are leading and the rest of the camp relatives and friends and family they just join in behind. And I noticed that some had torches in their hands. And that was so that they could provide light in case the journey was at night. So we journey for some time before we arrive at the camp of the bride where she is waiting, adorned with robes and precious stones. Her maidens are there at her side. The rest of the camp, they're all gathered around them. She has been patiently waiting for just this moment. They're singing and shouting and dancing. Soon, the bridegroom will bring the bride home, as with our Lord. He came first to make the covenant. He comes the second time to take us home. The next time we see Him, it will be to take us home to the place that He's prepared for us. A place of no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more disease, no more pandemics, and no more death. Now, as this procession continues, we look back and in the distance. And the bride's home is fading away. Soon, we'll not be able to see it anymore. She will have left behind all of the sorrows, all of the hurts, all of the past, and now all we can see is the bridegroom's house, the place of our heart's longing, heaven 
is our home. It's the destiny that we have lived for. Blessed are those who have been invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19 and verse 9. Meanwhile, well, I got filled in on the details of the vows that they exchanged at the altar. I learned that the bridegroom, or the bride turns to the bridegroom, and with eyes sparkling, she says to the bridegroom, Ani Lo. Ani Lo? I never heard that before. Well, it's right there. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16. And it appears three times. Ani Lo sums up everything that I'm to be and that I'm to do in God. Every good work, Every prayer, every act of repentance, every defeat of a stronghold, every manifestation of love, every decision of righteousness, everything is summed up in those two little words, Ani Lo. Well, I couldn't find, wait to find out. What does it mean? Ani Lo means, I am His. And if I'm His, then I can't give myself to anyone else. I can't give myself to anything else. And as a result, if I'm His, then I can resist temptation. If I'm His, then I can be faithful and true. If I'm His, it's nothing to self-sacrifice or to cheerfully give of what I have. I have nothing about which to worry. Why be anxious? I am His. My burdens are His. My life is His. My concerns are His. I'm free because I'm His. The bride is only His if she gives herself to Him. It's her choice. Now, to belong to God, I must choose to give myself to Him. I give my desires to Him. I give my heart to Him. I give my thoughts to Him. I give my burdens to Him. I give everything to Him. To live an anilo life is a life to Him. Now, the bride, she's not a theologian. She never went to seminary. She never got invited to the school of the prophets. So when she says, anilo, I am His, or I am to Him, she's not making some doctrinal statement. What she is, is she's just overflowing with joy because of her love for Him. It is her joy to be His and her joy to give herself to Him. An anilo life is a life totally belonging to your beloved. Anilo is the foundation of everything that we are to be and everything that we are to do in God. Our gifts, our works, our sacrifices, our mission trips, our ministry. Why, even our prayer language, our calling. It's because I am His. Well, I learned that there is an additional word for the revelation to be complete. And it's the Hebrew phrase, Dodi Lee. Before the bride can say, Anilo, she says, 
Dodie Lee. My beloved is mine. I am his. I am his sums up everything that I'm to be, everything that I'm to do in God. But Dodie Lee is the secret to fulfilling it. You see, before the bride can say, Anilo, I am his, she must say, Dodie Lee, my beloved is mine. And the more she realizes that her beloved belongs to her, the more she will give herself to her beloved. If she receives his love for her, she will give her love to him. And the more her heart can comprehend Dodie Lee, the more her life will be on If he is hers, she will be his. And that's the secret to life in God. It is your Dodie Lee that brings about your Anilo. So all that I'm to be and all that I am to do in God begins with Dodie Lee. My beloved is mine. And the more I accept that of what it means that God belongs to me, the more I will give myself to Him. And the more I receive His infinite, limitless love for me, the more I will give my love to Him. And the more my heart can comprehend that my beloved is mine, the more my life will become, I am His. Well, life will cease to be a struggle. There will no longer be this conflict. Overcoming weakness, I can do that with a smile. It's a response to His love. It is the Dodie Lee heart that produces the Yanni Low life. My beloved is mine, and I am His. God's greatest gift is to give Himself to you when you give yourself to Him. The very thought, of Anilo and Dodie Lee. My beloved is mine and I am his. It leaves me breathless. As the bride and the bridegroom pledged their devotion to one another, as they became husband and wife, I noticed that it all happened under a hoopah. A hoopah is the wedding canopy. The hoopah is the covering of God over both of them. The hoopah is the covering of the bridegroom over the bride. And it is the covering of God over both of them. This mystery is revealed in a prophecy. And the prophecy is found in Isaiah 4, verses 2-6. through 6. It speaks of the last days. And it describes a time when Jerusalem will be filled with the glory of God. And over all of the glory, there will be a covering a covering from heaven over the glory of Jerusalem. A covering is a canopy. It's a defense. And yet it's so much more than that. In the days of the kingdom, the holy city of Jerusalem will be covered by a wedding canopy. A hoopah over Jerusalem. And the meaning? Well, Jerusalem will be married to God. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And through Jerusalem... The world itself will be married to God. Everything will be joined to God. Every part of life, every earthly thing will be married 
to the heavenly. And that which is married to God, well, it will become holy and glorious. We can live in the blessings of the kingdom now. The key to living in the kingdom is to live under the hoopah, under the wedding canopy. God's covering our defense. Marry every part of your life to God and everything in your life will become holy and glorious. Well, that wedding celebration in ancient Israel, it went on for days. And there was one remaining mystery. As the celebration continued, here it was a festival of friends and family and loved ones and relatives. The bride and the bridegroom, they go to a designated privacy area. It was a a, a tent. It had a golden cord over the doorway. And it is here that the two become one. It is the completion of a circle. In the beginning of creation, the two were from one flesh. And from one flesh, now uh, they became two. And now the two become one. The woman, she came from man. And now again, she's joined to him, as in the miracle of creation. And from the joining comes the miracle of a new creation. The two become one. As mentioned in Genesis 2.24, 1 Corinthians 6.17, and Ephesians 5.31 and 32. It's a mystery. We came from God, and the woman and again man must again become one. So we become one with God. In Hebrew, the bridegroom means the one who joins himself. God is the bridegroom. He's the one who joins Himself to us. He joins Himself to you. And if we're married to Him, well, then we must also become one with Him. The two become one. As it is written, this mystery is very great. The person who is united or married to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. 2 Corinthians 6. And verse 1, join every part of your life join every part of your life to His and let every part of His life become yours. Dodie Lee, Annie Lowe, my beloved is mine and I am His. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And nothing can separate God's love for me. We're inseparable. Always. Forever. No matter what. There's a song that we used to sing in our evangelical churches in times past. It is the first hymn that I remember hearing. I was a nine-year-old boy. I've been rejoined with my mother after being years in foster care. The song is, I Come to the Garden Alone. That song was sung at both of my grandparents' funerals. It was sung at both of my parents' funerals. And more recently, that song was sung at both of my deceased sisters. And it sums up totally and completely Annie Lowe and Dodie Lee. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, 
the Son of God discloses. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He speaks and the sound of His voice is so sweet that the birds hush their singing. And the melody that He gives to me within my heart is ringing. He walks with me. He talks to me. He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I stay in the garden with Him, though the night around me is falling. But He bids me go through the voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. He walks with me. He talks to me. He tells me I am His very own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Ani Loeb. Dodie Lee, my beloved is mine, and I am His. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Your Word declares that You will join Yourself to us forever. You tell us that You will join us in righteousness, in justice, in love, and in compassion. I can't think of anything I need more. I want to thank You tonight for Your extravagant love. It is limitless and it is beyond my imagination. It is everlasting. Lord Jesus, I want to tell You tonight that You captivate me. I declare that my heart is forever Yours. I desire a heart that longs to know You and love you deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. So, that's the lesson that I would share if I only had one lesson to share because I, I cherish the relationship that I have with Christ. And it didn't start out that way. And it didn't develop in school. And it didn't develop in ministry. It developed after walking with Him for many, many years. So, there you go.